This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all? To feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hey everyone, Disturbed is taking a break this week, so I'm bringing you an episode that originally aired on September 9th, 2021. And don't worry, we will be back next week with all new stories for you to enjoy. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. The man was walking out onto the stones so that he could reach me. He was not hesitating. I couldn't see his face. Eventually, we stopped at a red light and he was right behind. I looked in my rear view and saw his face. To this day, I can still see his face. He had missed both shots because of his unstable aim, but told us that there was a man crouching at our front door, looking at our door handle. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. This episode is sponsored by The Vanished, a weekly podcast from Wondery that tells stories of missing persons that have gone overlooked by mainstream media. Listen to new episodes of The Vanished on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. Today, I'm bringing you four true terrifying tales that will certainly give you the chills. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show with an experience from Reddit user Dear Zabby, featuring voice work by Nicole Doolin. And we prepare to be hunted. So I take my dad's ashes up to Glacier National Park every year. I lived in Colorado when this story happened, and I was headed south through Idaho after I had visited Montana. My car broke down in Salmon, Idaho, and a nice man helped me out. I was headed through the mountains to Boise to visit a friend. It was about a five-hour drive. Before I entered the truly mountainous section of Idaho, I saw a hot spring on the side of this two-lane highway along the Salmon River. I decided to take a dip after the stress of having my car break down. 
The hot spring had a bathhouse up at the top near the road and a wheelchair ramp that went down to the area near the springs, where they were on the side of the river. People had created little bath-shaped sections in the river that were separated by river stones. Actually, you could sit in a spot that was shaped like a hot tub so that it held the water from the hot springs while the river rushed over it. I got out of my car and headed down to the hot spring. I took my dog with me. It was twilight. About every half an hour, a car passed by. Knowing that I was alone, essentially, I took off my top. I was sitting in the hot spring and actually took a photo of a car approaching. The car pulled up next to mine in front of the bathhouse. It was a truck with three men in it. Seamlessly, one man got out of the driver's side and two men got out of the passenger side. They moved without qualms and were covered in heavy black gear. They looked like hunters. I couldn't see the expressions on their faces. The driver headed down the wheelchair ramp towards me, not hesitating. He took big, long strides. I recognized that there was danger. The two passengers from the other side of the car headed down the steep bank along the wheelchair ramp, taking a shortcut. I was stuck in between both parties. Hastening, I hid and dressed myself underwater while my dog growled. He never growls. I've only heard him growl all of twice in my life, and this was the second time. The driver kept on walking towards me. He walked out onto the rocks into the river, continuously walking towards me, even though he was covered in heavy gear that could get him waterlogged if he fell in the river. The other two passengers from the side of the car were also walking out on the rocks, directly in front of me. The driver got so close that I had to grab my dog before he lashed out at the driver. I was freaking out. The man was walking out onto the stones so that he could reach me. He was not hesitating. I couldn't see his face. I grabbed my phone, my keys, and my clothes. I dragged my dog in between the two parties, my heart in my ears. The driver would not stop. He turned around very quickly, making an arc, coming for me still. He was still taking big strides. The passengers were walking towards me as well. I was trapped in between them. I ran up the bank, dragging my dog pretty much by his collar all the way into my car. The only way that I could get into my car without them grabbing me was by throwing my dog into the back and lunging myself into the passenger side door of my car. I threw my keys into the ignition and turned them right when the men were walking up between my car and their car. I happened to hit the lock button on the door right when they walked up. Before anything else happened, or before I saw their faces, I ended up throwing myself into the driver's seat, reversing my car, and hightailing it out of there. I drove about 20 minutes down the road. I crossed the river on a bridge and hid my car behind a bank near other campers. It was well hidden from the main road. The campers were looking at me, wondering what was going on. I sat and I waited. Another 10 minutes passed by and lo and behold, the truck drove by. The hunters were looking for me. I managed to wait another half an hour and then drove up to the mountains, over to Boise and into safety.
Want to listen to Disturbed ad-free? Of course you do. Go to disturbedpodcast.com slash support to get your access today. Next up, we hear from Reddit user Toffee Smithy with voice work by John Patnode. And we feel the terror of the wilderness. So I want to share this creepy encounter with you guys. About four years ago, my wife and I planned an evening out for a birthday. My parents babysat and we went out to a restaurant. Because I drove, I didn't drink, so we didn't bother to go anywhere else after we were done in the restaurant, but because the night was still young, we decided to go on a long drive. A location which is relatively nearby is a large national park. We decided to take a drive up there and just sit and chat under the stars. When we arrived up there, the country roads were dead. I found a nice, open parking area to pull the car up in. We sat inside the car talking. We started making out and things carried on until we began having sex. At no point did either of us leave the car. As we were doing the deed, headlights lit up our vehicle. Instantly, we were like, oh god, there's someone driving by, I hope they don't see what we're doing. For me, it was an instant turnoff, so I quickly pulled up my trousers and seized. I thought the car was just a fellow traveler passing by, but to our surprise, the car pulled into our area and began circling us. I put the keys in the ignition and said, let's go. I drove out of the car parking area onto the road and back to the main connecting road. The car followed. Once on the main connecting road, we could see the make, model, and color of the car that was now following us. It was a dark red Ford. I drove quickly but not recklessly. The car matched my speed and was right up my ass. At this point, neither of us were 100% sure if we were being paranoid or if this car was really meaning to follow us, so I said, I know what I'll do. I'll pull off at a random turning and see what they do. So I put my foot down and after a few hundred yards down the main road, I made a late left turn down a really narrow side lane. I pulled up after a while on this side road, stopped and turned my lights off and watched in my rearview mirror to see if the red Ford carried straight on the main road or if he turned off. A few seconds later, there he was. He had turned off and was now coming down this narrow lane towards us again. At first we were blinded by the headlights, but I was sure it was him. My wife said, I don't think it's the same car, you know. I said, it is, it is, look. As he got closer, it became apparent it was the same car, so I drove down the road further, and luckily I found a space big enough to turn my car around. I spun around and back to the main road again. He followed. Now back on the main road for a second time, now I decided to speed. As I was heading towards the built-up city center, he kept behind me the whole way. Eventually, we stopped at a red light and he was right behind. I looked in my rear view and saw his face. To this day, I can still see his face. A middle-aged, slightly tubby man with glasses and thin gray hair. At this point, I was freaked out. We both were. I said to my wife, I'm going to keep driving and try and lose him, but I'm not driving home so he doesn't know where we live. She agreed. We drove around for maybe another 10 minutes. He was still following. At this point, I was beginning to consider the possibility of calling the cops, but... I thought I would give it a few more minutes of trying to lose him. Thankfully, a few streets later, 
he turned off and was never seen again. I know it's a real possibility that he may have been a dogger. Not sure if this is a thing in America, but it's basically where strangers meet other strangers in the wilderness to have sex. But if he were a dogger, or if he thought we were doggers, we're not, then surely he would have understood we weren't interested when we actively drove away. The fact he followed us into the built-up city for 25 minutes or more makes me think he had more sinister intentions. What do you think? To this day, it's still the weirdest moment of my life. The Vanished is a weekly podcast from Wondery telling stories of missing persons that have gone overlooked by mainstream media. Now this podcast is personally one of my favorites. Host Marissa Jones does an incredible job getting each story from friends and family of the missing person and often talks with law enforcement and many others close to the case. The amount of work and detail going into every episode is second to none. And with more than 300 episodes to binge, The Vanished has hours upon hours of cases for you to experience. Recently, Marissa looked at the case of Sofia Juarez, who 21 years ago disappeared on the night before her fifth birthday. And now this part is insane. Years later, the case was reignited when a woman looking similar to Sofia appeared in a TikTok video claiming she was kidnapped as a child. So what happened to Sofia? An eyewitness reported seeing a small girl matching Sophia's appearance and outfit being guided by a young teenage boy over to a vehicle. Find out more about Sophia's case and hundreds more on The Vanished. And for me, The Vanished is really hard to beat because of the in-depth details each episode goes into. Hearing about the cases from people directly affected by it like friends and family really allow you to feel just how heartbreaking these cases can be. Listen to new episodes of The Vanished on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now back to the horror. Disturbed Podcast with your host, Chad. Up next, we hear from Reddit user Troubled Waves, featuring voice work by Addison Peacock. And we experience the fear of windows. I live in a small, small town. You blink and you miss it. The best we can boast about is a single stop sign at a gas station, which we only have because of the nearby highway. 
Any actual semblance of a town is 25 minutes away. So when things get scary out here, it's amplified. The occasional homeless person is no big deal. They're often drifting through. Drug addicts run rampant and will steal everything they can from your house, but it's the normal out here. However, what happened a few years ago certainly wasn't normal. Originally, I was dead asleep in my bed. I only woke up because it was burning hot in my room, but it was summertime and not much I could do. I just remember tossing and turning until I got a creepy feeling that fell into the pit of my stomach. I glanced over to the bathroom door that was open with the light on. Everything was normal. I left the light on so I wouldn't trip and die if I had to pee in the middle of the night. Next, I glanced at the window directly across from my bed. I had no curtains, but I did have a shitty set of blinds. Part of the blinds are broken from wear and tear, and the crappy AC unit beneath it would make them move back and forth, so you'd get a glimpse outside every so often. The yard light was still going, but what made me stop was the outline at my window. The figure of someone was directly at my window, almost like it was waiting for the blinds to move to watch me. I didn't have an imagination as a child. That had been trained out of me. But the sight was enough to pour every horror film into my head at that moment. I squeezed my eyes shut and pulled my blankets over my head and slept in a cloth oven that night. By morning time, the figure was gone. I remember running to my mom's room on the verge of tears in the morning, telling her what had happened. She laughed at me like I was an idiot and told me it was probably just a stray cat that had climbed up there for one odd reason or another. I almost believed her, since my window was pretty high off the ground, but something didn't sit right. Later that day when we were doing yard work, I glanced over at my window and saw one of our metal patio chairs had been pushed up to it. I pointed it out to my mom, who proceeded to chew me out. That's how the cat probably got up there, moron. Stop leaving furniture everywhere. But I hadn't moved it. It was heavy enough that I struggled with it. So we moved it back, and so began a pattern. At night, I'd see the figure, complain to my mom, and we'd find a chair moved back every single morning. This went on for a few weeks. My mother stopped caring about my concerns until one morning we saw where the outside screen of my window had been sliced open. I still remember her shaking her head and complaining about those damn stray cats that we had still yet to see. I could tell she was unnerved by that development. I couldn't handle it anymore, and I opted to sleep in our living room that night. The only problem was our kitchen and living room connected, which meant there were always several windows. The first night of my move went well, despite my back hurting from the couch. I avoided my room like the plague. It wasn't until about four days later we ran into an issue. I woke up and glanced at the clock above the fireplace. It read a little past 3 a.m. I couldn't realize why I'd woken up until it happened again. There was a beam of light shining in from the kitchen window, almost like someone was shining a flashlight in. I saw it trace along the walls and land on the love seat across from the couch I was on. I was mortified. When I told my mom, she continued to laugh at me. I gave in and decided I would sleep in my dad's room, even though it had a gigantic window. He slept in the recliner with a huge TV, so I felt more safe having someone around. The yard light was directly outside the window anyways. It seemed foolproof. That was until I woke up out of habitual fear and watched through the window across from the bed. Everything seemed normal as time drug on 
and I felt like a moron. Maybe my mom was right. That was until I saw a lone figure come out of the woods by the backyard shed, walk directly under the light, and head to the patio furniture like he'd been here plenty of times before. I still remember the large build the man had, and the confidence like he was the one who lived here and wasn't creeping around my yard in the dead of night. I just remember listening to the TV until I fell asleep again, hoping to get another glimpse. My dad would have been pissed if I had woken him up. He was grumpy on a good day, and terrifying on a bad day. I didn't feel like risking it unless I had solid proof, because I was scared. The next morning, my mom chewed me out again for the patio furniture, which was routine almost a month later. But this time, something new happened. She demanded I stop playing in the toolboxes of the garage. A bunch of tools had been taken out and left on our doorstep. Screwdrivers, a large hammer, flashlights, etc. It wasn't me. I begged with my mom and pleaded with her, just stay up with me one night. We couldn't close our garage because it was an open carport, and I wasn't going to get my ass beaten for touching tools because of someone else. It was driving me mad. Finally, she agreed. That night, we would stay awake in the living room. I finally fell asleep before my mom did, but I remember her waking me up in a panic. She pointed to the window that overlooked into our garage. We could see the top of someone's head as they walked back and forth. There was a sound of someone placing metal tools down on the brick steps as if they were trying to be quiet but couldn't fully muffle it. She whispered for me to go wake my dad. My dad was angry, having been woken up in the middle of the night by his frantic daughter. He grabbed his pistol and headed out from the back door towards the front of the house where the garage was located. We heard my dad screaming and someone dropping tools. Then the shot of a gun. Twice. The frantic footsteps pounding out of the garage felt like they were coming from my chest. My mom peeked out the window, then opened the door, and my dad stumbled in. He had missed both shots because of his unstable aim, but told us that there was a man crouching at our front door, looking at our door handle. None of us slept that night, and in the morning the law from the closest town arrived. They didn't do much besides ask if anything had been stolen, for a description of the man and then told us to install cameras. That was it. They said the guy was probably just looking for something easy to steal for quick money. If that had been the case, why hadn't he stolen the tools, the generator, the welder, or broken into any of the vehicles just sitting in the garage? We finally set up hunting trail cameras around the house, but nothing has happened since. Coming home from college for holidays, I still have nightmares about the incident years later when I sleep in my own bed. I don't know what he was looking for, or why he did the things he did. Whatever the case may be, man at the window, let's not meet. Are you listening alone? Rather brave of you. And finally, our title story coming to us from Reddit user Wack Miller, featuring voice work by Matt Bradford, and we experience the night that made him believe. When we were about 20, my friends and I were really big into doing scary trips to haunted roads and things of that nature. 
This one is about Clinton Road, deemed the most haunted road in America. So scary they even made a movie about it. This story takes place before the movie was even a thought. So there was a group of our friends. There were three of us that were the closest, and two more that would tag along here and there. Three main guys, myself and two others, were all huge football players, with the smallest of us standing about 6 foot 4 inches, 230 pounds. So we were never really scared to do any of these things, and we'd look like a pretty intimidating group of guys. I had to work late on a Friday night, so they decided to go to this road without me. Most of it sounded like the typical hype and adrenaline scare, but one thing stuck out. They told me that when they were there, they received text from an unknown number stating, Why are you on Clinton Road? And the text even described what my friends were doing and wearing. They showed me the text, but I figured they were faking it, trying to make it sound scary, knowing that I'd be mad I missed out. They also explained to me a legend that a child died in the water under the bridge on the road, and that if you throw change, the ghost boy would return the change to you, known as, well the Ghost Boy Bridge. And on top of that, there was a ridiculous bend in the road there called Dead Man's Curve that even if you were doing a modest 30 miles per hour, you could easily crash and tumble off the cliff. It's said that a ghost truck would chase you throughout the road and try to get you to crash. I called total BS. I then convinced them to take me the next day, because I was off from work. And uh, yeah, it did not disappoint. So we, we get there, and immediately I see the road is in the middle of the woods, covered with ritual signs all over the road. I knew that this was not a typical road. We came up to the bridge and parked, and as soon as we got out of the car, I checked everyone's pockets so that they wouldn't try to pull anything slick, like trying to drop change in the middle of the road when I wasn't looking. There were a total of five quarters, one for each of us. We all tossed them in the water over the bridge. About five minutes go by in total silence. I decided to break the silence by stating, I told you, bullshit. We then turned to walk back to the car. We got about ten feet away and cling, cling, cling. The sound of change hitting the ground. We go back to the bridge and there are five quarters laying directly in between the two yellow lines in the middle of the road. Thinking it was one of the other four people there messing with me, I came prepared. I then signed one of the quarters with my initial and we all throw them back into the water. About five more minutes go by and again I proclaim, see, bullshit, just one of you guys messing with us. We then proceed to walk back to the car, get about ten feet away again and cling, 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 the sound of change hitting the ground again. We turn back around and go to see what it was. Sure enough, there were five quarters laying in the road with one of them having my initials, in my handwriting. We are all going nuts and decide to run back to the car. After getting back to the car, we decide to keep going to see what else the road has to offer, but keep in mind, we were spooked from the change thing we just experienced. About ten minutes go by, a few of us have to pee really bad after holding it in the car ride, so we pulled up to this castle-looking building, no bigger than a small house, but you could tell it was extremely old. We decided to just stop there because there was a little indent in the road where a car can pull over. We all get out. I go to my immediate left and do my business. After I'm done, 
I notice my one friend is walking towards the castle, almost in a trance-like state. We yelled his name to come back, but he kept walking. We all ran up and grabbed him and shook him out of it. After questioning why the hell he'd be walking up there alone, he stated that he was following me and that I waved him to come there without saying a word to him. I mean, the problem with that was the fact that the entire group was actually behind him. I mean, we had all sorts of signals as a group, so I would never just wave him to me without saying anything. So I'm 100% convinced that he saw a doppelganger leading him to trouble. The fear level is definitely higher now, so we decided to leave. But like I stated earlier, it's an extremely dark road in the woods. You can't see much. You have to pass Dead Man's Curve twice, once on the way in and once on the way out. So we're probably about four miles from the curve when we see headlights behind us. I mean, we didn't think much of it as I thought it was just some other kids our age trying to do what we were doing. About a minute goes by. After us talking about some random stuff trying to ease the mood, and we noticed the headlights were directly behind us. The headlights looked super old, and you could tell it was a truck because of how high the lights were off the ground. The thing was, we, we didn't see a truck, just the lights, because it's so dark out there. Getting more creeped out, we told the driver to speed up and try to get this crazy driver off our tail, but he was sticking right on us, going around bends at high speed straightaways, and we couldn't shake him. And the problem with this, we were in a brand new and modified sports and performance car. If someone were driving an old truck, or any truck for that matter, there's absolutely no way they would be able to keep up with us for more than 30 seconds. But this thing was on us for what seemed to be miles. Finally, about half a mile away from Dead Man's Curve, it's almost as if the lights shut off. And we lost it. So I remember pulling up right after the curve and pulling over so that we could find our way back to the main roads. Meanwhile, there's woods on both sides of us. We're all talking very lightly. Just in case something crazy were to happen, we could hear it and be aware. Two minutes go by. After getting service to our phones, one of the guys got directions, so we were in the clear. Right after the driver put the car in drive, we hear this deafening screech. It sounded like a woman's scream, literally sounded about 20 feet away from us. So loud, I thought I lost my hearing for a few minutes. When we looked over to where the noise came from, I will never, ever, ever forget what we saw. I know this is going to sound crazy. And if it didn't happen to me, I would never believe it. We saw a typical movie scene, white dress, black hair figure standing there. But next to that was a clown, hanging upside down from a tree, swinging back and forth, smiling at us, moving its head in any direction we moved. Now, this totally could have been a prank. To set that prank up, you would have to have both immense patience for someone to come around to that exact spot, or balls of steel to be doing that in the woods, in the middle of nowhere, with just two people? No. I don't think I've ever been in a car that moved as fast as ours after that sighting. We then found the main road and headed back. Going home, we did research and found about the legend of the ghost truck, dead man's curve, etc. It was such a rush. By the time he got home, it was probably 2.30 in the morning and we'd forgotten the feeling of how scared we actually were. So we all decided when we got home, let's do it again the next day, which would have been Sunday, to see who really had balls. We all parked at my friend's house so he could drive us, so we all had to drive ourselves home. 
I lived 15 minutes away, and on the way home, I noticed that a rundown church in my town had letters put up on their board. I never used it, so it was strange to see. The board stated, you're gonna need Jesus on Sunday. About a minute after passing that church, my radio cut out and started playing Bloody Sunday. Sunday, Bloody Sunday. It's safe to say I made a call to the group saying we're not going back. It's been about seven years, and I refuse to go there ever again. But that night made me believe. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Don't forget you can leave us a text or voicemail on our hotline at 701-354-3667. Share your story or just let us know what you think of the show. Voicemails have a three-minute time limit, so if you get cut off, just call back. To submit your story in writing, you can do so over at disturbedpodcast.com slash submit. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and your support. If you'd like to support the show, you can get early access to our premium feed featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit disturbedpodcast.com support to learn more. Now let's give a shout out to all of our newest supporters, Sarah O'Brien, Tasha Goodpaster Malay, Dorothy Call, Sweet Lips 6993, Omar, Chandler Namath, Amada, Carmela, Lindsay, and Jasmine Ford. Thanks everyone so much for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at Whitebat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all. <laughs>